As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. George finally has a point to prove after Brighton trip. Steve Stone never played for Newcastle, but he's still a local hero and he dropped by for a very interesting chat. And with Chris on holiday, we'll have a very brief transfer update. Very brief indeed. Yes, hello once again. This is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne and you're very welcome to another bumper episode. Uh, we've got another special guest coming up later in the show. And of course, we're going to pick the bones out of that scoreless draw at Brighton. But before we get to any of that, let's say hello to the Wanderer himself, Mr. George Colgan. How the devil are you, sir? How was the trip to Brighton? My trip to Brighton has only just finished, Taylor. It was <laughs> it was an epic, an epic trip. <laughs> Um, it felt a bit like a sort of remake of Planes, Trains and Automobiles Um, took a very very long time to get there it was really hot when I got there and sweaty I've lost about a stone and a half in weight just through sweat seeping out of various orifices sitting down watching watching that but I'm pleased to be home yeah I was stopped off in London and my god it was hot my God, it was up. Struggling to remember a time when you weren't either travelling to or from Brighton, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it is that sort of, it is that thing where it certainly wasn't as, as bleak as my previous uh, previous trips there, but it it is a long way away. I'm glad that's done with, Yeah, put it that way. It's a different heat down there on the south coast, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like the same heat that we get. It feels like they get a different... Oh, I have to say, I mean, it's... You know, it was obviously the same for both teams, but um, I can't remember ever watching a game of football in that heat. I mean, I've gone to been to World Cups and European Championships, and I've done pre-season tours and things like that um, in the past, and I can't remember being in a heat like that. Um, so well done, well done, well done to both teams for getting through that, and well done to all the Newcastle fans who got there. It was there were horrific. Uh, travel problems on the roads, not was, to mention yeah. the uh, not to mention the train strike, obviously. So it took some people a hell of a lot of time to get back. So well done, and a, a sold out away end again. Three thousand, three thousand people there, but yeah, that was a that was a grueling, grueling effort for all concerned. There was a lovely moment of Newcastle and Brighton fans sharing sun cream across the barrier between the two sets of supporters at one point as well that I saw online, which was quite nice. Uh, Anyway, let's get into that game a little bit. A traditional 3pm Saturday affair at the Amex. So Eddie Howe's men return home with a point and a clean sheet against a well-drilled Brighton side. Pretty satisfactory point, George. Uh, What do you think? I mean, it it, it could have been a lot better. There's a little bit of uh, a little bit of bluntness at the top end of the pitch, but a point is a point, and let's be honest, we haven't had many good days down there, have we? No, I mean if you compare it to the previous previous season that 
where I was also at. Thank you, Chris. Hope you're enjoying your time off. Uh, hope you're enjoying your non-Brighton uh, stay. Um, but there were t there were times in that match, which was a game that Eddie Howe was watching from the stands, of course, about to take over, that, you know, Brighton had... I think it was like 46 touches without interruption. There was five minutes where they had 94% possession or something ridiculous like that. I mean, it was pretty excruciating. Newcastle got a got a draw at the end of it and they got a draw again. It was a very different type of game though. I would, I mean, I think Brighton were the better team, both in terms of the way they played and the pressure they had. We'll come on to talk about some of those moments and chances and things. But I would also say that it was a far more even match Newcastle weren't embarrassed. They had to be very committed, and they had to, you know, they had to all kind of work together. It was that sort of match, backs the wall for various points. Definitely not fluent, but they weren't embarrassed. And so for me, for me, that made a nice change being in Brighton and not feeling embarrassed by the way Newcastle have played. Brighton had a lot of chances, didn't they? And of course, one man kept them at bay for most of the game. Uh, Nick Pope trending on Twitter on Friday uh, and keep, <laughs> keeping clean sheets on Saturday. That uh, that low down save from Trossard was a bit of a whopper, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that one-handed one -handed save. Yeah, he looked really, really good. And obviously that's why he's been brought in this, in this summer. I thought he played really well. Eddie Howe tried to sort of get to grips with the whole Twitter thing afterwards. Not, I don't think that social media is really his thing. And he said that um, Lee Marshall, Newcastle's uh, press press officer, had sort of tried to explain before coming in. And, um, yeah, he sort of said, I, don't, I just don't understand that Burger King thing at all. Yeah. And, of course, when you put it like, it doesn't make any sense what happened. He it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. We should reference uh, Toon Polls um, for answering a Burger King poll. What, what was it? It was about... Do you have what was it? I can't remember the exact poll, but I know the answer was. But the answer was, was Nick, Nick Pope, wasn't it? And before we and then knew it. Before we knew it, every single brand within you know within the UK and and, and also internationally was retweeting and yeah. tweeting the words Nick Pope for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yeah. What we saw there was a, a group of brand social media individuals who thought I'm not missing out on this exactly, even though I don't know what it is or what a Nick Pope is. But let's get on there exactly. and, and see what we can do with it. But it was good. Yeah, it was it, an, an interesting afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was it was good. To, I mean, it was very funny. It was one of those sort of like Newcastle takeovers of Twitter, which which can be very funny. But then the answer, you know, the answer he, he was like trending the next day for the way he played, which was like which was really brilliant, really nice, and uh, yeah, just a really good performance. You know, Martin Dubravka has not really done very much wrong, but no. certainly, certainly Pope justified uh, Eddie Howe's decision to to start with him this season. I thought he was excellent. Absolutely, a couple of goal line clearances as well. How cool was Kieran Trippier, by the way? The coolest man in Brighton that day, which is difficult because it was bloody hot. <laughs> uh, but what a clearance! He just sort of thought, oh, I might, I might get rid of this in a minute. I might not. Yeah, and it was a, it was a, it was a Pope <laughs> save, wasn't it? Pope got a touch to it, and then yeah. it goes back to Trippier, and it sort of seemed to be the ball seemed to just be hanging there for ages. And when you look the look at the replays and the goal decision system, whatever it's called. You just see how close it was to going over, but Absolutely. but yeah, Trippier, Trippier, excellent. Um, again, you know, you still sort of, I still have to pinch myself a little bit to see Kieran Trippier playing for Newcastle. He was excellent, and then of course there was that the second goal line clearance with Sh Sh Fabian Scherer at the end uh, in the second half. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. One of the things I wanted to bring up about Trippier, George, and I, um, you might not agree, but um, I noticed towards the end of the game, and I'm I'm sure this is to do with the heat and just generally how much of an onslaught it was. But Trippier got undone a couple of times by uh, Itoma, who came on for Brighton, went past him like he wasn't there a couple of times. Um, obviously, Kieran Trippier is a little bit older now and he's got a bit more experience in those legs. But is there, do you think there might be a case that he might not be able to make it through full games like that the way he used to? Has he still got it in the tank? Uh, I, I mean, I haven't thought that previously. That's not something that I've sort of been considering in the back of my mind or anything like that. I mean, I suppose Newcastle were kind of caught between a little bit in terms of, you know, do they defend what they have? Do they try and get forward? Yeah. Um, whether that was part of it. And, I mean, I do think that anybody who started that match was going to be struggling by the end of it. And, um, you know, if you're, you know, Newcastle are trying to make changes to sort of get, get a positive result out of it you're not likely to change your fullbacks um yeah i mean i, I know what you're saying um he's he's 
he is an attacking fullback. He always wants to get forward. He covers a lot of ground, doesn't he? He, he, covers, he gets up and down the pitch a lot. He does. And, you know, it's his distribution a lot of the times from set pieces that Newcastle were kind of looking to. So I I would absolve him from from blame, I think. And, you know, it's worth it is worth just emphasising again how phenomenally ridiculous those conditions, you know, those conditions were. I mean, I could, I barely got through it sitting down on my arse let alone um, running <laughs> running around. I'm not sure where else I would sit, to be fair, but um, so probably... That's true. Yeah. You could sit on your hands if you... I suppose I could have sat on you. somebody else's ass. Don't think you're allowed to. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the changes that were made in the second half, I think Brighton's changes were a lot more effective than Newcastle's. We were looking for something else, and Jacob Murphy came on, uh, and I believe, was it Joe Willock came on as well? And it didn't... No, it wasn't Joe Willock, was it? Who was it? Sean Longstaff, sorry. Yeah, Sean Longstaff, uh, Longstaff and on. Murphy came on for Willock and St. Maxim at that point. That's so. right. Yeah, that's right. Um, the changes that we made didn't seem to affect the game as much as the changes that Brighton made. Their their players came on and instantly had an impact. You know, it, it, it kind of shows they are, there's still a little bit of a lack of depth there in that squad. Well, definitely. I mean, I think if you look at if you look at Newcastle's bench, you've got Dummett, Lascelles, Manquillo, Richie, Murphy, Anderson, Longstaff, Wood... You're not looking at a game-changing bench there, really, are you? It's a fairly defensive bench, that as well, isn't it? Yeah, you're looking at sort of, I mean, not like-for-like like replacements, but players who can come in and f- fill those same positions, but not really looking to change things dramatically. And I think that is, yeah, I think that is uh, uh, something that the club will be looking at moving forward. And that's why they, you know, that's why they still ideally could do with another one or two additions before the window closes because they don't have difference makers um, who aren't starting at this point certainly I mean we all hope Elliot Anderson goes goes on to be that player but um, yeah that is that is a a concern I I guess you would say um, particularly if your you know your first 11 aren't aren't firing on all cylinders which they definitely weren't at Brighton. One addition we did get to have a good look at this time was Sven Botman making his full Premier League debut. Uh, and also, we didn't have to miss out on Dan Byrne as well. He shifted across to uh, to left-back with uh, Matt Target suffering from a dead leg. Uh, Byrne made a few decent blocks and Sven Botman looked fairly unflustered as well, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, Brighton, as we said, Brighton did create chances and they had they had pressure. But I thought both played both played well. It was, you know, it's a difficult day for, for Dan Byrne. He's played that left-back position quite a lot for Brighton actually but you know he's he's having to deal with St Maxima in front of him and you know he's not a natural he's not a built like a natural fullback but I thought you know I thought he he got through that well yeah we weren't expecting to see Botman start again I think he did well too um it's two clean sheets in a row for Newcastle we have to have to make that point it took them I think until February to record their second clean sheet last season and you know yeah. so that, <laughs> bit of a change yeah and that puts things into context as well as you know it took them a long time to get four points um let alone their first win last season so in this you know in the sort of mild not not you know I wouldn't say disappointment but mild sort of oh, okay well we didn't go and attack Brighton in the way that we dominated Forest. Yeah. if there's any sort of disappointment about that we have to look at the the context and it's a squad that has been rebuilt from the back, hasn't it? If you look at it from what they did in January and what they've done this summer, not necessarily what they intended to do this summer as a priority, but it's what they've done. And it does look like a really good unit at the back now. And that's, that is encouraging. With the rebuild in mind as well, that's the second game in a row now that nobody from the promotion season has been involved in the, the starting eleven. Um You wrote a piece recently about the club moving on and, and it's time now that those old guard... Uh, kind of taking a, a step aside and players like Matt Ritchie and of course Isaac Hayden's already gone, Jamal Lascelles is there still but the te- the club in general and the team are moving on now George aren't they? Yeah it was, that was really my piece around Brighton, there were, t- there were two sort of elements I wanted to say, there was actually there's the sort of moving on from the recent past but also a kind of embracing of a better past um, uh, sort of embracing in their history, just something that a couple of things that struck me, the, the second point was something that Eddie Howe talked about in his press conference on Friday that he'd referenced Kevin Keegan and the Kevin Keegan team to the squad last week, uh, you know, talking about that history and something to aspire to. Now, 
in some ways that shouldn't be a strange thing for us, but it is because Kevin Keegan came back to Newcastle as manager under Mike Ashley, and it was almost like, you know, it, that was such a sort of heartbreaking interlude for the club. Keegan ends up suing the club for for uh, constructive dismissal and so on and so forth. And it was almost like he couldn't be mentioned. I love the fact that Howe did that last week, that, you know, Newcastle shouldn't be ashamed of Keegan. I mean, I know they're not, but, you know, we should we should want to aspire to what Keegan did. That felt so distant under Ashley, those Keegan years, the first Keegan years, because Newcastle just weren't built for ambition. So on the one hand, I love that. On the second hand, yeah, it was the second game in a row that Howe hasn't picked someone who was employed by the club in that promotion season. And that's only happened once before since that pr- promotion season. It happened last season, the, the game at Everton, if my maths are right. And they lost that game at Everton. And so you do get that sense of moving on from that recent past. Now, you, we have respect for that recent past in terms of those players, but when Newcastle came up under Keegan, it was to challenge at the top of the Premier League. When Newcastle came up last time under Rafa, he might have had those ambitions, but pretty soon that, that ambitions was knocked out of him just because the way the club was run. And so that's the point I'm making, that Newcastle, in turning away from their recent past, have also then turned back to that history of ambition. And that's very exciting. Yeah, as a fan, it's almost felt in the Ashley years like that history that we love and that we have such a close relationship with was almost whitewashed out of existence. Completely. You know, Shira's bar was changed to something else. Uh, the the statue being off club ground, you know, the, Keegan and what happened to him and, and the fact that he doesn't feel welcome to come back to St. James's Park. These are things that are integral to the club and the culture of the club going back over 20, 30, 40 years. We should have a link to those and it should be a strong link that we have and fans should see it and young fans coming through who who want to know about the club and the club's history should be able to see those things and they should be visible and it never felt like they were under no. Mike Ashley and it, it you know it, it was such it. a shame and, 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 it, and it made me feel sad absolutely but it also felt so distant that was the thing wasn't it I mean it felt I mean as time went on we were all told to stop living in the past that you know the Keegan years were an exception they were an aberration but really, Newcastle's natural home was as a mid-lower table Premier League club. Now, some of us rejected that because we'd seen it. We'd seen Newcastle at the top of the table. We, know, we knew that it was possible. We felt what it was like in the city. But as time went on, it became more and more hard to, for us to make those points because it f- did feel like such a long time ago. And what I love about now, not only are a new generation of Newcastle fans getting to understand what our excitement was about, but we can look back at that history, feel proud of it, but also say, all right, now is the time to try and go one better than that team to actually win something. And so we have that, yeah. you know, the link is there again, but it's a positive link. It's not that yeah. link of, think, of, of thinking it'll never be like that ever again. It's, well, maybe maybe we can emulate that and who knows, possibly go one better. I walked into my eldest bedroom yesterday and he had the telly on and I expected him to be watching YouTube or playing on his PlayStation or something. And he was watching Alan Shearer's uh, goals DVD <laughs> on, uh, and just watching it and going, he was amazing, wasn't he? Oh, he's been oh, brought yeah. up well. That's it, kid. You're in. He's been That's brought it, up in. well. He's been brought There's up well. There's no escape well. now. Yeah, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Uh, uh, an acolyte of Alan from work. Very good. So, any, if anything, the, the the Brighton game and the result and the performance, it, it illustrated that there is still work to be done uh, after the Forest win, both in terms of transfers and possession, attacking tactics, all that sort of stuff. But we have to remember, George, Brighton are a decent team and Graham Potter has got them playing some good football. Yeah, and I think again, yeah. If if there's any sort of feeling of uh, sort of dismay after that, we have to remember that uh, Potter has got that team playing in a certain way. They're so comfortable on the ball. Newcastle didn't go there this time and have twenty percent of possession or thirty percent of possession. There was a lot more, and and before that, Newcastle did not want the football. We've talked about that so many times. They absolutely hated the ball. Now they're getting into a into a position where they're much more comfortable. And we saw what they could do against Forest. That gave, that gave us a little uh, hint, I hope, at the kind of team that Newcastle can become. That's how Eddie Howe wants to play. He wants Newcastle to, to get forward. He wants them to be comfortable on the ball. But yeah, Brighton have been doing this for a while now and Newcastle haven't. So um, there is work to be done, as you say. We'll come on to talk about the transfer window a little bit. But at the end of the match, 
Howe was asked whether it was a disappointed dressing room, and this is what he said. I'd say disappointed dressing room. I'd say probably reflective, looking back at the game and, and maybe a little bit of frustration, inner frustration that we couldn't have um, performed a bit better. Um, but I wouldn't say disappointed. I think there's a lot of positives to come to, from today. You know, Sven's debut, Nick's performance, uh, Dan doing well out of slightly out of position, um, the unity, togetherness of the squad. I don't, don't think we should underestimate those things, the, the willingness to fight for every point, every, every duel. We need that between now and the, and the end of the season. So, but then at the same time, reflective that probably individually we know we could have performed better. Right, there we go. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute with another very special guest. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Uh, Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. But don't worry if you do like the adverts, you can still listen to those on your normal podcast provider. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, as promised, here is our conversation with Steve Stone, which was recorded just before the Brighton game. Uh, George will have been somewhere between Stevenage and Gatwick at that time, but Chris and I had a great chat with the former Forest Villa, Portsmouth and England winger. Although he never played for Newcastle, he did serve the club as a first-team coach under Alan Pardew, and he had plenty of insight from that spell, as well as his more recent post with Burnley. That didn't end as he and his colleagues would have hoped, but he has been enjoying his extended summer break. It's been great to be back up in the northeast uh, for the last 12 weeks after getting sacked from Burnley. I'm enjoying my time off and I'm also, you know, it's, it's been nice to actually catch up on a bit of uh, a bit of Newcastle as well. I was, I was at the game at the weekend. Atmosphere was amazing. I missed the last game of last season, you know, the Arsenal game where I was thinking about going and I regretted not going because you can just tell, you know, since the ownership's changed that um, everybody's on a high now and everybody's got something to look forward to. So it's been, it's been a great experience so far. So what are you doing at the minute then? Are you, is the garden looking amazing or are you just sort of floating around and kicking your heels? What, what are you up to? Yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll be moving house. Uh, I've been obviously trying to take in a little bit of football this weekend. It's, it's funny because when, when you do get the sack at the, the end of the season, there's six weeks left and really you're not going to get a job at that time. So you just try and relax and try and take stock and try and have a little bit of think about what went right and what went wrong in terms of the job that you did before and try and reflect a little bit. So it gives you a little bit of time for that. And then obviously the summer comes and you're just hanging around waiting for, for the next phone call to come for the next job or, or to try and get yourself out there and get your name about again to try and get some work somewhere down the line. It's always important though when you come out of football that you do take stock and you do take that time out. So you get that real enthusiasm to go back in again because you need it. You know, Once the, the job comes, the pressure starts and you're back in. You're back in the merry-go-round. And it's, it's what we all love, of course. I mean, Steve, reflecting on that sort of... Obviously, it was a very successful period at Burnley. Then you and, and, and Sean and the rest of the, the staff get relieved of the duties and, and the club goes down. I mean, how can you sort of reflect on that when you're already out of the club? Do you still feel the disappointment in the same way? I think what you're looking at, you're looking at... Um, the disappointment is taking us out about seven, eight games to go, especially when we've been there 10 years, especially Sean had been there 10 years, I've been there five. And we've been continuously in positions like that. You know, one, one, uh, one period we had 12 points after 19 games and managed to succeed and get out of it. And this was a very similar position, even though we thought we were only about two or three points out of the relegation zone. We thought we had games coming up that we could win. We'd been waiting for these games to come up. So that was the disappointment. Um, but saying that, if you don't win enough games in football, 
you're going to get relieved of your duties. It's as simple as that. It's a numbers game. And also we had new American owners who were different to the last guy. So the last guy would have had uh, Mike Garlic. He would have, he would have been, he would have been disappointed that we went down, but he knew he had a team in place that it could have brought him back up again. But these new American owners wanted to just do things different in their way. And it's their club and it's their money. And you've just got to go, okay, no problem. You know, we have to do better next time. We have to reflect on what we did and what we didn't do. How could we do things better? Recruitment. And you start analysing all that stuff. So when you go into your next job, you try and you try and work it just a little bit better. Because the game's always moving on. Just to add a bit of a Newcastle angle to it, Steve, when the Chris Wood transfer happened, how much impact did that have on Burnley as somebody who was in the club at the time? Well, the impact it had was um, he used to lead our line. So we didn't get we didn't score many goals. You know, we might have scored only 35 to 40 goals a season. And Chris Wood would score a minimum of 10 every single year that he's been in the Premier League. So to lose that um, was a major, major blow. I mean, at the time we wanted Chris Wood to come in and we wanted to add another one to him, a midfield player and a wide player. And when you've taken your main goal scorer at the team, it just it just deflates you just that little bit more than you need to be. You know, we were, we were just starting to get back to basics. We thought we were on a good run. And what it does is it obviously... Whether he does well at Newcastle, he doesn't do well. It took a centre forward off a rival in the in the bottom three, and it what it did it hurt us, and it benefited Newcastle in terms of and how they did stuff. And Newcastle did great; they had a great window. You know, they spent a hundred million, they got players in who impacted what they were doing, and and that took their momentum the right way, where our momentum was going okay, but we we kept stuttering, you know. So it it, it did have a major impact on what. And you gotta remember, the players are looking around in that dressing room with Burnley going, "You've just sold a centre forward for twenty five million. What does that tell the players?" It's not like you're trying to progress the right way. You've mentioned the business to Castledon, and subsequently they've signed another player you know very well in Nick Pope. I mean, can you just tell us, give us a little bit of an insight in, into, into Nick? How good a goalkeeper do you think he is? Well, Nick was um, he was England's number one before he got injured. Before the Euros, the last Euros, he dislodged Pickford, and then Pickford came back in, of course, and did really well throughout that tournament. But he'd actually dislodged him, so that just shows how good a goalkeeper he is. I think you've got to steal a £10 million. I mean, for £10 million for a top-class goalkeeper is an amazing piece of business. And what he does is he fills the whole goal. What you'll see is he will make important saves in important times of games, especially against the big teams when you're getting camped in and you can't get out. He just makes incredible saves. Uh, he comes for crosses. He takes the pressure off your back four. He will just, as soon as the ball is kicked, he will set off. Incredibly brave of you taking stuff on the edge of the box. A bit like Grobler used to do many, many years ago, but with a bit more <laughs> success. And he's, uh, he's, he's got all those attributes. So your centre-halves feel comfortable and confident straight away where there's no indecision. You know, to take that pressure off your centre-halves is amazing. I thought with his feet, he did okay the other day. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's always one thing that's always been criticised against him. But I think rightly so, he, he mentioned something about, well, we never really played out at the back of Burnley. We wanted to get it forward and maximise opportunities in the opposition's half and the opposition's box. So it'll be interesting to see how he does on that. But also, his personality is big. He's always positive. He's always around the lads, trying to get things going and get that goalie section going as well. And he just upped the levels. And that's what, he, that's what he's done, you know. So I think you've got a really, really good sign in him. And, you know, only time will tell, of course. But I thought what he did the other day, he didn't have a lot to do. But he was competent in everything he did. I think there was one opportunity where somebody was offside and they got through. And he still made the save with his feet. And you just thought, I thought, yes. I thought that's yeah. him. Yep, that's him. That's the one. That's what you're going to see from him. You know, them tight, edgy games. And the Forest obviously weren't amazing on the day. But if they get back into that game, Pope's going to make saves. I, and I think it's a fantastic sign, and I really do. You know, it gives Dubravka somebody, obviously, a challenge now, a real challenge where he's now going to dislodge him. And what you're doing is you're just bettering your squad bit by bit. So if you've got Dubravka as a number two, that's not a bad number two, is it? Let's be honest, because he's done terrific as well. So what Newcastle have done has been sensible squad building, and that's what it looks like to me. They're doing the things the right way. They're not going too high too early. Steve, you, you've coached at Newcastle before that as well. It must have been great to be involved with your boyhood club. And you know, what was it like growing up as a Newcastle fan? Did you get to go to many games? Or As a Newcastle fan, I was, there, I was around the Keegan era when I was about 10 or 11. So I went to the Newcastle probably um, when the first lot, when Kenny Wharton was there and John Anderson, they were coming through in the old first division, the second division as it was. And it was pretty dreary and it wasn't great. The crowds weren't full. It was miserable. I think, you know, a lot of older supporters will tell you all about it. And Keegan came along made his debut, scored a 1-0 win against, I think it was QPR. The place just lifted and Newcastle have always wanted that. So I, I sort of had that upbringing where Keegan was a player, loved it, went away, came back as a manager, had all that again. And when Keegan was a manager, I was obviously playing at the time and used to have some difficult times up here. I came with a forest side that was really good. You know, we finished third in the league and, you know, the people like Janola and Ferdinand and Shearer, 
I mean, you'd be happy if you got away with it. Still haven't forgiven Ian Warne, to be honest. No, no. Well, 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 we work, well, we work with Warne. I work with him. He's our, he's our assistant manager at uh, Burnley. And everybody yeah. mentions it. Let's be honest. I think Newcastle were probably done games before that, weren't they? I think Warne just put the nail in the coffin. But it was great growing up as a Newcastle supporter, you know. One of the probably the only slight regrets you always have as growing up, if, if, you, if you're a Newcastle supporter, is that you never actually got to play for them. Yeah. But at the time, you just had some really good wide men in Ginola and Rule Fox and people like that, you know, and um, Gillespie. You know, you had some real, real good talent in the team at the time. So, you know, that's just one of them things that uh, I look at my career and say, yep, I'm really happy with it. But one regret is you always look and go, I wish I'd played for my boyhood club. Did it even come as a, like a, maybe a chance that you could have yeah, come back? And yeah. what was it like leaving the city? To, to, to pursue your career? Well, to pursue my career, Forrest at the time, Forrest had just won the European Cup twice. So you're talking about, I'm going to Brian Clough, I'm going to the finishing second, third, they're in Cup finals. There's no way I'm going to Newcastle. There's no way my dad's even going to let me go, you know? So Forrest took me at about 13, 14. Newcastle came in a bit later when I was 15. My dad didn't even tell us, you know, he just sort of let, he just wanted, he wanted me away from the city to go to a real football. And at the time was, was in with Liverpool and all the rest of it, you win a European Cup. So, there was no real, there was no real option for me to go to Newcastle Sunderland Middlesbrough at the time. Was sort of get out of the area and go and experience yourself and be, become a man. I left at fifteen uh, to get a chance to ever play for them. It sort of was muted a few times and came around. The agent was talking bits and bobs, but it never got any further than that. And uh, and I was quite happy with where I was, you know, Forest and Villa, teams like that at the time. You know, you were up at the the top end of the Premier League, so. You've just got to be happy for having a, a Premier League career. I never thought growing up that I'd have a Premier League career, let's be honest. I'd be like, I'd be happy just to be a professional footballer. And you get there and you go, oh my God, this is incredible. So uh, I'm thankful for what I've had. And, and the club now, Steve, what's it like watching that transformation from the outside looking in and having worked there under Mike Ashley at a time as well? Well, working under Mike was, was no issue, you know, because uh, what Mike did was he would give you he would give you a certain amount of money or he would give pards some money or whatever that was at the time of the recruitment. That's what you've got to spend. That's what you, you go and buy, how many players you want from whichever area. So you knew exactly what you had. So you knew exactly what you had to deal with and you knew, you knew what you had to do. So there was no complications in that. Of course, you're hearing the noises. I'm a Newcastle boy supporter. I'm hearing the noises from outside when you're working in there. You know, it's not exciting. You're not playing good enough stuff. We need better players. But we, we had what we had, you know, we had what we had and we had what we had was, was I think we had some real good talent around that time. Your Kabais, your Denver Bars, your Lowick Remy's, you know, we had some, we had some Colacinis, we had some really good players. I think what we didn't do, what we always thought we'd love to have done was just push on again. You know, that season we finished fifth, we nearly got Champions League, uh, Papa Cissi came at the time. We just thinking, go and buy another couple more, go and just stretch it just a little bit more. And of course, it didn't happen. Uh, we got in the Europa League the next year, and we nearly actually got relegated the next year. So there was, there was, it was an amazing time to be part of what was a difficult time as well, because you got to remember as well, Alan Pardew was uh, was getting associated with uh, Mike Ashley, and he was his mate and all the rest of it, and he was getting a lot of stick at the time as well. So I seen a lot in Pards, and I seen in, and how strong a character he was, and how strong a coach he was, and how strong he had to stay through some really, really difficult moments. I learned a lot through that, whether it was my boyhood club or not. I learned a lot from a manager who was uh, had some good times and bad times over the five years that he was here. But certainly uh, what I would say is I would say it was interesting. I think is the word. <laughs> I think interesting is the word. Yeah. It's like a soap opera, honestly. Soon, as soon as everything used to be going well, I used to say to John Garver, this ain't staying well for long. It never does. This Newcastle, it just never does. It never does, you know. So it was always interesting. It was always great. And we had some great characters along the way, like I said, you know, about David Santon was there. And, you know, we had Hatta and Ben Arthur and people like that who we were having to deal with and manage. So there were some real interesting characters and some real good times as well, you know, throughout was, what was could be not, not always easy, you know, but stood me in good stead. And now, of course, you look at it and you go, Please, Newcastle fans, don't think you're going to win the league because it's either we're going to get relegated, we're useless, or we're going to win the league. There's no middle ground, is there? There's never a middle ground. Newcastle fans always get so excited, and rightly so, when something like this happens. So I'm hoping, and I'm sensing just a bit, that everybody's got to go right, we're building. If you finish top 10 this year, that's a good, that's good. Decent cup run, that's fine. Yeah. Don't expect to win cups as well with what we've got at the minute, even though you, the club might be saying they want to win cups. The big, the big clubs still win all the cups. It's very, very rarely that you can sneak in and get it. You know, they've got super, super squads and it's difficult to get in there. So I think the building process is right what they've done, who they've bought and how they've bought. And it's going to be like a Man City project over the next five, six, seven, eight years. And if you do it right and you get it right and you get the likes of Dan Ash with them, which I think is a great, great sign, the sporting director, I think you've got a chance. You've got a great chance. And it's exciting, of course. 
Yeah, Steve. I mean, I, I, I think I think Newcastle fans are, are ready for the ride. I think that they hope things will come in time. But when when you were were there, did it did it always feel like? I mean, you mentioned the year when you when you got to Europe, and that was wonderful. But did it always feel like there was a glass ceiling of, in terms of what could be achieved with the resources? Yes, that was exactly what it was. If you look at the Premier League and who spends the most money, they normally win the league. And the league the league table will probably put itself in order of what your what your budget is and what your players have got. Apart from a few teams here and there, it normally ends up where your budget is is where you finish. That's that's basically what happens. And our budget was a certain way, and we were probably doing better than we budget and how much we net spend was at the time. So we always we always realised there was a ceiling to what we could do. But of course, because of the you know the, the type of people we are in football, you always think you can do better. You're always trying to reach better. We're all we're always going to do that. Of course you realise what your spending is about that, but can we have this one year where we can get to a cup final? Can we ignite this town and can we get in the Champions League with a, an amazing run? You know, of course, we're, we're dreamers as well, you know. There's no way we go into, a, as football coaches and footballers, go into a season going, hey, we'll finish 10th this year, that's brilliant. I mean, that's just not going to happen, is it? There's no way that's going to happen. Otherwise, we're in the wrong job. But, but of course, the expectation is, is what it is. Absolutely. Uh, just to bring it back to the to the current day as well, uh, Steve Forrest have just been uh, just been to St James's yeah, Park. Unfortunately, yeah. they took a beating. It would depend on which way you want to look at it. Uh, but it must be great to see them back in the top flight after all this time and, and playing in the Premier League again. Yeah, do you know what? It's uh, I actually when I left Forrest to go to Villa, um, Forrest went down that year, and I played for Villa uh, against Forrest. That actually put them down that day. So I put my old team down after I just left. So it was a bit of sweet, you know. Right. And they haven't been back since. So it's been uh, weird to watch over the years where you, they've nearly made it back, but they've never really got things together. They've changed ownership a few times. And now um, with this manager they've got in who seems to be playing the right sort of football that the Forest fans want to see them play. Because, you you know, historically Forest have always been a, a passing football team, even from the even from the Brian Clough days. And they seem to have got that back. So it's... It's amazing to see what he's done. Him and his squad, uh, sorry, his, his staff deserve an amazing amount of credit. I mean, he'd won, they'd won one, I was at one point they had after six or seven games when he went in the championship to turn it around and do what he's done. Yeah. Oh my God, Some I can't tell you how, how impressive that is. So whatever happens this year with them, whatever, whether they stay up or whether they go down, He's got a bright future in the game, hasn't he? And I just, I just hope they manage to stay up. You mentioned the job that Steve Cooper's done at Forest. I mean, as a coach watching on from afar, the job that Eddie Howe did at Newcastle last season is doing now. What have, what have you made of the work, body work he's put together? Well, I think he's, uh, he's, he's brought a confidence to the team. I thought he's brought a belief in a way that they want to play. He hasn't wavered from the way. Bit of swagger there, isn't it? Yeah, there's a little bit of just yeah. We know we're about we're we're okay here, and you see you can see and sense teams when they when they go on the pitch that yeah we're okay. Right, we might not be the best team, but in every game you, you've got that feeling like um, we've got a chance. You know, we've got a chance this time. Where before when we used to play Man City at home, would sit everybody so far back behind the ball. You know, you're thinking, well, can we get away with a a two nil defeat and all the rest? But now you look and go, all right, we may not win every game. And the quality might not still be there up top totally. There's a little bit, of, you know, you're looking at the likes of Armour and some maximum, a little bit of end product where it needs to be probably better. Um, at least we've got a chance. You know, there's a, there's a squad and a system there and they'll add to it and you go. It's exciting times. And Eddie's brought that. He's been, uh, do you know what I think what he's done is he's, he's brought a calmness. If you listen to Eddie all the time, he doesn't get excited when you win. He doesn't get too down when you've lost. He just stays on a level the whole way. So, Supporters believe that, the players believe that as well. So win, lose, or draw, there's a goal at the end, there's a plan. And the plan is the long-term plan, and, and Eddie knows that. And that's what he's brought to it. But if, if the supporters have a belief in the team, the supporters are with you. And Newcastle supporters want to be with the team. And at the minute, you feel like both are together. When I was there the other day, I felt like the team and the supporters were a one. And that hasn't always happened. And that is a massive, massive thing. Absolutely. Well, let's let's finish off where we started, roughly speaking. What's next for you then, Steve Stone? Will, will you be back in football anytime soon? Well, we're hoping to be. Um, obviously, you're always waiting for somebody to lose their job in football, which is uh, which is never nice. But people are waiting for us to lose their job and then they take over. So yeah, yeah. what you what you do is you know you you enjoy your time off. You talk talk about reflecting. Uh, you go and watch as many games as possible, and you're just ready for it. You know, you can uh, you try and bet yourself as a coach, and that's what we'll be doing now. And it might not be a first team area, it might not be with Sean Dyche, it might be somewhere on my own where I go and take something different. Um, but um, I, I'm open to anything. Um, you know, football is a it has a global presence these days, doesn't it? You know, the US and 
all the rest of it. There's so many jobs out there that you could actually go and do. So my next experience will be one which, you know, I want to take and not because I have to take it, because one I want to take now, you know, something that hopefully excites us. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you for giving us your time and uh, good luck with whatever the next venture is for you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Been brilliant. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There we go, George. A good little interview there with Steve Stone. Uh, lots of uh, lots of interesting stories and lots to say. Yeah, I was disappointed not to be part of that, but um, yeah, obviously it's taken me nine years of my life to get to Brighton and back, so I couldn't be around for that. <laughs> no, I thought I thought he was um, thought he's fascinating. Thought he sounded very very kind of upbeat, doesn't he? Yeah, fascinating hearing about sort of being on the inside at Burnley last season. Uh, and you know, with what happened with Chris Chris Wood and all that, and you know, good about Nick Pope, and yeah, interesting. It's always interesting to hear people who were sort of around during the Ashley years to see how it felt on the inside. So um, yeah, very good, and hopefully he'll be back in the game soon. Absolutely right. Then let's move on. We've got a little update to do just before we finish things off. Uh, Amanda Staveley and Murdad Gadusi were at uh, Stamford Bridge on Sunday. George, is that right? Yeah, it um, launched a thousand Twitter conspiracies, didn't it? They were pictured. They were pictured speaking to to one of the new co-owners yeah. at the match, um, and it was like, mm, what what are they doing there? Um, well, so I did a little bit of research, and um, it turns out that they were there as uh, at the invitation of Todd, Todd Bowley, the new um, the the new Chelsea co-owner and chairman, and he is someone that Amanda has known since they spoke and at at an event hosted by the Milken Institute titled Investing in Volatile Markets in 2019. I think that's kind of quite funny. In I'm all ways. about that. Investing in volatile Yeah, I'm all about investing yeah, in volatile Yeah, yeah, well, they're getting, they're getting the hang of it, aren't they? So they were there as a sort of social thing. <laughs> but I'm, sort of, I'm told also that, you know, that, that they viewed that as a chance to have a, you know, grow a relationship with a club that they hope to be rivaling at the top of the mm. Premier League and swap ideas i do find that sort of you know I, f- I find that a quite an appealing thought that um there's no reason why in the same way that managers who are out of work often go and view you know go and visit other managers and see what they're doing um you know why why shouldn't clubs bounce ideas off each other it's two sets of of new owners relatively new owners so i kind of quite like that and of course the other point is that Newcastle have been looking at Chelsea players yeah. this window, and so you do wonder whether there were there were conversations there. Um, there has been a, a kind of long-standing interest in Armando Brogia, um, somebody that they would uh, that they would like to loan. That they've been looking at Conor Gallagher is another one. Callum Hudson Odoi is another one, um, and even Christian Pulisic. I mean, I don't know what the chances of that might be. He has expressed a desire to kind of get out of Chelsea but Chelsea have also spent a lot of money this this window so um and they they will be looking to get it to get it back there was also an interest in Werner Timo Werner before he moved permanently back to Germany so there was a lot for them to speak about yesterday it was I say it was a it was a social invitation but it would be surprising if there wasn't some chat about that stuff too 
It can only be advantageous though, can't it, George, when you've got that kind of close personal relationship to other owners. When it comes to transfer windows and maybe he's moving players on and bringing players in, it, 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 it can it can do no harm, really, can it? No, absolutely. And I think, you know, there was that sort of sense that there was hostility to Newcastle when the takeover when the takeover happened. But I think that calmed down quite quickly. Uh, Amanda Staverley has played a kind of big role in Premier League meetings and and in those some of those Premier League committees. She's shown that they're committed to working within the system, within the uh, you know the existing Premier League rules. They're not here to be big disruptors to the division. They obviously want to be successful and ultimately they want to win things, but um, they're doing it from you know from within. They're not doing the same as Live Golf has done. Uh, in the world of golf, which is to absolutely yeah. disrupt it and throw money at it, and it's not the way they're it's not the way they're they're doing things. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, another thing to, to think about as well is Chris wrote this week was John Joe Shelby's expected to be out pretty much until Christmas with a, a pretty terrible hamstring injury. Uh, might that be an area that that Newcastle look at strengthening in the midfield? I know Elliot Anderson has uh, is going to stay now, or that at least that's what the chat is. But could could Newcastle look at bringing in midfield reinforcement reinforcements even? Well, I think that's. I think that does. I think that does. Um, I think that nobody likes a grass tailor. No, we don't. It's true. Uh, I think it has sort of informed part of what they're doing. You know, we when they were looking at James Madison, for example. I think that caused a bit, you know, perhaps a bit of confusion. But Shelby is a difference maker in midfield. They haven't got a lot of difference makers. So I think it would be, you know, if they if they got a player who could sort of fit across the front in the way that Madison could, I think that sort of makes sense in that in those terms. It's something they're, you know, it's something they're looking at. Um, they haven't got a lot of time. I mean, I, there is that sense that certainly when you look at the Bryant performance, that they need something with a bit of difference in a forward area now. Where is Shelby's great strength? Shelby's great strength is passing. He can he can uh, bring players into play. I think they are missing that that kind of player. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, they're, they're certainly not panicking in terms of bringing in a direct replacement, but um, if they if they can bring in versatility in attacking positions, that's I think that's what they want to do. And generally speaking, around the club, is the uh, the feeling around recruitment is it as relaxed as what the club seem? There's there's quite a few twitchy bums out there at the minute of people thinking that the the club and the squad might not be where they need to be before that window shuts, and they are lacking firepower. Are the club fairly relaxed about the the possibilities of bringing in players? Well, I, I said last week that. Um, somebody, somebody near the top of the club had kind of said they're a player short of where they want to be. They're satisfied with what um, with what they've done so far, but there's still time left. We're obviously a week further, you know, further down the line, so we've lost a week. I still, I think we're still waiting for the market to really shake itself up in terms of those late loans. I think that is a market that Newcastle will be looking at. Um, so. Uh, they they know they need at least one attacking player, you know, and that's been confirmed to me at the, at the weekend after the Brighton game. It's not something that they didn't know. Um, they're not going to throw stupid money at it. We know that it has to be the right player. Um, I'll repeat something that I've said before. Again, that's come from the club. It's not a great window for great players. So, but teams like Chelsea will be looking to trim their squad as we get closer to the end of the window and I think there is I think there is um potential there in terms of bringing people in so we just have to stay uh calm and patient about it they're perfectly well aware of it um they have earned our patience I think from what they've done so far over both windows and so fingers crossed fingers crossed they get there before we finish up as well, uh, Newcastle have drawn Tranmere in the second round of the Carabao Cup, a potentially fun Wednesday night. George, do you fancy rekindling our bromance on an 18-hour bus trip from hell like we did at West Brom? Well, or shall we leave that one alone for now? Well, you we might leave it for this round. I am going to go to Tranmere, so I'm looking forward to that. And I am excellent. looking forward... Yeah, but I, that is something I would love to do again with you, Taylor. It was great fun. And I would like to go... I mean, Newcastle that season did have a cup run but yeah. it ended so badly and there were so sort of so many disappointments or little disappointments along the way where they struggled and you know Steve Bruce said the right things about the cup but it just wasn't a club that was built to achieve things now I love what 
Eddie Howe said last week about wanting the club and the team to dream, that he he dreams big, he wants to achieve things, he wants to win a cup. Now, the exciting thing is that that dream is shared at the top of the club. It's shared by supporters, it's shared by the management, and it's shared by the players. So the way I look at Tranmere, you know, I don't think it's it's this year or bust in terms of cup uh, cup games, but it's a chance to set a tone. And I think it's that, you know, we talked earlier about the Keegan the Keegan era, at that stage, in that era, winning something was the great obsession of the club. It was the great obsession. And it was a, it, it pulled at your heartstrings. There was a yearning to win something. But my God, it was strong. It's what got you fired up. It'd be like, one day, you, we're not too far away. And one day, this will be us. And for a while... We were allowed kept to driving ha- forward, didn't it? It kept us driving kept us forward, driving and forward. it was a great. It was, as I said, it it like it 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 you know it tugged at your heartstrings. But it's what we all wanted. And then for for a decade, that's been put you know that's been put to one side. The club weren't weren't trying, and so it was even worse. It was like you would have these years ticking by, and you were getting no no closer to winning something. Anyway, so I think it's reset this season. Let's bring back that obsession. Might not happen this season. When you look at the clubs that win trophies, it's the biggest and richest clubs. But you know, I think we can start that dream again. We can reset the clock and let's 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 obsess again. Absolutely. Uh, right then, before we finish off, uh, next week's show should hopefully see the return of Chris Woff. Um, there'll be lots of transfer chat, and also for those of you who like your tactics, there'll be loads of double pivots, uh, inside out number nines, and whatever else he wants to talk about this week. He's all about that sort of chat, isn't he, George? He's just all that half bollocks. the time. I don't know what he's talking about, but I just let him get on with it. We've got another special guest next week though, as well. So I'm looking forward to. I'm looking oh, forward we are. to that. Yes, of course. Let's not say the name, but let's just tease them with that little tidbit of information. Right then, thank you very much for listening. It's been fun. Thank you to Steve Stone for uh, for joining us as well for a great little chat. And thank you, George Colgan, for coming on as always and for that epic trip to Brighton and the sacrifice made therein. It's been good fun. Thanks a lot for having us. And we shall speak to you very soon from everybody at Pod on the Time. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.